You go. You go. You go. No, you go. No, you go. You go. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Shred. Woo! The Shred is here to tear GovCon a new one. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, ICF. And the topic for this episode is going to be tips and tricks to subcontracting. We all know that the best way to get into the federal government and to build your federal footprint when you are just starting out is through being a subcontractor. And even then, when you are an established subcontractor in the market, that's a great way to build portfolios and even pivot into different customer spaces. But there are a lot of considerations when being a subcontractor. One of the first points and tips and tricks of being a subcontractor and putting your best foot forward is understanding the compliance requirements that are out there for subs. And there are a number of them. This is things like even making sure that you have the right insurance, that you have the right cost accounting systems, all the way through to making sure that you can understand and take care of the ITAR requirements. There are just so many types of compliance requirements that you as a sub, especially if you're just starting out, might not know about. And they depend on the sector that you work with and the type of capabilities or services or products that you provide. Absolutely, and this really also can go to things like your facility requirements, your security and your background checks, your requirements for certain types of offices and SCIF space, down to things like Buy American Act and having those types of requirements met. These are all things that the prime has to cascade down to their subcontractor. And the more we're getting into compliance and oversight and the more things are getting wonkier in this global world of ours, the more requirements there are going to be not only on the prime, but on the subcontractor. You know, that just reminded me, there's also things like invoicing and mm -hmm. timekeeping Certainly. and those types of requirements that do come specialized within the federal government and as a subcontractor making sure you're on your P's and your Q's for those is of the utmost importance and that's a lot of what primes are looking for these days because as the onus gets more on them to make sure they're regulating to make sure that they're on time with things and the more that the eyes are on them to ensure proper subcontractor requirements because then they legally could get in trouble, they're going to be on top of that more, making sure their subs are also following in foot. So you have to have a good understanding of your infrastructure based on what it is that you're providing. You know, we talk about compliance requirements. There's also things going back to timekeeping, like your timekeeping system. You know, do you need to be DCAA compliant? It depends. Are you in defense? Then yeah, probably. Are you in civilian? Eh, maybe not. Are but you a sub on a cost plus contract? Yes. All these different types of, you know, um, contract types like cost plus fixed fee, T&M, they all have different requirements for their timekeeping. And so it's just something that you need to have at the top of your mind when being a sub. And this is particularly difficult for people that come from the commercial world <laughs> and want to say, you know, I want to get a piece of that government pie. Okay, you have to have all of these considerations even when you're not the one that's on the hook for them as the prime. There are other sort of regulatory issues that you need to keep in mind, like if you have to be FedRAMP certified or CMMC certified. Oh now, gosh. we're not going to get into CMMC certification. What year is it? 2023? When is it going to be implemented? We'll see, but these are things that you have to consider even at the subcontractor level going forward. The second tip and trick to being a subcontractor is to, and please, 
You're killing me. Have a proper TA in place mm -hmm. if you are subbing. And that just doesn't mean have one in general. That means have one with terms that still benefit you. Okay. There is a thing that happens where people are so desperate to get into the federal government workspace or to get on a contract and to sub with a large prime that you lose some of those rights that you have and just the benefit of even working a contract if you don't have an adequate TA. So with that, always have a GovCon attorney look at it. One, always have your work share stipulated. Absolutely. How many times have you seen this? Do not go in there without a work share agreement, especially if you are a subcontractor bringing something to the table. And we're gonna talk about that in point three, so I'm not gonna dive into that too much. But if you're bringing value to the table, I don't care if you've never worked for the federal government a day in your life, but if there's something that you are bringing to the table that's going to make a difference in this competition and you're going to win or lose by it, you get work share. If you're, if you're a one-person shop, 20-person shop, and you are teaming with a multinational vendor, system integrator, I'm not going to name them, maybe three letters, who knows, you get work share, and you make sure you advocate for yourself for that work share because you're bringing value to that table. And don't be afraid to negotiate terms. I mean, you can't just go in with the baseline if they say that they're going to pay you 90 days post-invoice. I don't think that's going to happen. But be able to have that sort of turnaround time negotiated that's going to fit you and your company in that document. That's why it's so important to get a lawyer involved. Amber and I are not lawyers. We just play one on yeah, TV. So make sure that you reach out to those folks to look at your TA and make sure that that's executed before you start working on a proposal even. Another really important part about the TA, and I've been seeing this more and more, especially as so, some subcontractors will now complain that they get on a team, they help, they do the work, they get in and they work on the proposal or they find key personnel and then nothing comes of it. Something that I've been hearing that others have been doing is putting within their contracts a stipulation of if there is no work or if I get no work off of this win, off of this contract, I am entitled to this type of value. Kind of like how federal proposals or federal contracts say there is a ceiling or a floor for what you will be awarded on that contract. Kind of like that 2500 floor saying that's your base. Everyone gets that kind of, uh, you know, piece, everyone gets the piece of that prize. I've been seeing that more and more. Hmm. Now, I think that depends. I'm not sure if I'm a fan of that. I'm not sure how much that's going to work. Just I think it depends on the power struggles going on. But if you are getting on a team that has 40 to 60 subcontractors on that team, what I would say is take a step back and think about how worthwhile is that going to be to you. And if you are someone that's a first tier sub, maybe look at putting some type of agreement in place into your contract to make sure that there is some ROI in that for you and that you're not just swimming in a pool full of 60 fish. Another component of this is subcontracting exclusivity. Are you for it? Are you against it? What makes sense for your business? What makes sense for the effort? These are all discussion points that you need to have with your leadership and everybody that's gonna be working on an effort together. You don't always have to be exclusive. Is it helpful? Sometimes, but is it necessary? Not most of the time. So having that conversation, not only with your internal leadership, but having that conversation with your prime and being open and honest about it is the best way to go. Because sometimes you may just assume you have to be exclusive because you're loyal like that. That's the way you roll. 
but maybe they're not requiring of that of any other of their subcontractors. It's good to know what type of agreements are in place so that you don't pigeonhole yourself. The third tip and trick to being a subcontractor is to provide value. That is, after all, sort of the underlying crux to why you should even sub, why you get to a team, why a prime would be attracted to working with you. And you can provide value in so many different ways. Uh, my favorite way is to provide proposal support. Oh, you stole mine! It's my favorite! It's because how valuable is it to have proposal resources that can help you go after a contract? We all know that, that doesn't cost you BNP dollars it's externally. expensive there's an ROI here yes but it could be a sunk cost if you don't win so if you're able to bring forward proposal support services whether that's a proposal manager whether it is color reviewers, reviewers that's a huge one writers if you can bring writers you are mm. a valuable sub a recruiter recruiters great too and that actually moves into the secondary point of value which is bringing key personnel if you have that great programming manager that has the PMP, that has 25 years of experience, that has customer intimacy, that has all the things that are going to be listed, that is a great way to pitch yourself to a prime. Absolutely. Some other values to bring that maybe not a lot of us think about are things like certifications, like ISO or CMMI certifications that they're able to leverage. Other things are similar to proposal support. Graphic support, helping with that solutioning, helping create those, or even helping paying to put those together. Another thing too, and this is one that goes under the radar a lot, is if you're a financially independent subcontractor that can support their people while the prime is waiting to get paid by the federal government. Hmm. Who here has waited a very long time for a check from the federal government? Almost everybody. Chances are that your prime is going to be waiting for a while in order to get paid, which means that you're going to be waiting for a while to get paid. So if you are a subcontractor that can prove that you can support and sustain your business while waiting for that money to come in, that just makes you more valuable and makes you a little bit different than probably a lot of the rest of the subcontractors in this space. So what if you are a small business and you're looking to subcontract but you don't know where to go? How do you find these primes to showcase your value to to begin with? One way to do this is to look for recently awarded full and open contracts, specifically those that have subcontracting plans, and reach out to those points of contact with the value adds that we just discussed. It's sort of like your sales efforts with the federal government that we talked about. How do you make that cold call more lukewarm? The same thing goes for vendor to vendor as it does from vendor to government. And so by not only doing the research and finding these needs out there, but also then reaching out to them with your value, that's how you become a great subcontractor to a prime. There's also a few agencies that work on behalf of their larger primes. I can think of one, Department of Energy, that puts out subcontracting calls on behalf of their large primes. Always be on the lookout for those. On Department of Energy's website, they actually have open calls for subcontractors for those types of supports, especially at like Savannah River site and things like that. So those are really good things to look at as well if you're within that realm and if that's within your requirements that you support. It's also good to ask if you have an in or you're already working at a federal agency and you have good ins with contracting officers or procurement officials or even program officers talking to them and saying, hey, we're looking to grow our skill set within this. We're just looking to bring more value. Or we have some of these labor categories that maybe just came off a project. We want somewhere for them to go, especially if you are you know, well-liked or you're performing really well. 
asking them. Do you know of any larger primes that maybe are looking to fulfill a spot or that are having a harder time to fill these positions? They'll tell you. Want to know why? Because it benefits them. It benefits their project. It benefits their performance. And asking sometimes, they might not you know, tell you, but they might say, I can make a referral or I can make an introduction. And a good way to get you know, as we've talked about before, you know, a lukewarm phone call is that introduction. A way to warm that up and to get you to the top of that list and out of that database is an introduction from the government. The fourth tip and trick into being a subcontractor is to know your worth, which is a little bit different than knowing your value. This is what you bring besides those sort of value adds. This is your background. This is your knowledge base. This is your relationships. This is, and hear me out, more than just your socioeconomic set-aside status. You mean you need wow. more than just being an 8A or a hub zone? Yes. That's so Aww. basic. <laughs> you matter more. It, you are more than your socioeconomic status. You're worth more than that. But this is things like your past performance. This is your customer intimacy. Mm -hmm. It's those sort of intangibles that really help make a partnership worthwhile. And again, it's so much more than just going to a prime and saying, I'm an 8A. You should give me work. When's the last time that worked for anybody? It probably has. It probably has, but it's probably it's the exception and not the rule. Another way that you can deliver your worth is by leveraging someone from your team that maybe has relationships with that federal customer. Maybe they recently retired and came over to your organization, or maybe they know them from their same car wash or workout studio. You never know these days how you get to meet people, but that is part of your worth because that helps you give insight to personal connections. I like that Amber believes that the way that you connect with people is by saying, we go to the same car wash. Car washes are important. Working at the car wash. Working at the car wash. <laughs> Continuing on with that, it's not only about knowing your worth as a sub, it's also about knowing the worth of the prime that you're going to go into business with. Not all personalities get along together, so you have to understand the partnership that you're entering into because it is a partnership and it's a close one. And you want to make sure that you have similarities in terms of culture, in terms of your ethics, in terms of your value proposition as a team. And making sure that you're getting ahead of that and you recognize who it is that you're going into business with as a prime is just as important as understanding your worth as a subcontractor. Absolutely. And to add on one last point to that, you have to remember that if your goal is to grow into a prime, that subcontracting experience is going to need to be justified and written about and supported by that prime. So if you don't have a good relationship, if you don't feel like this prime actually cares about you as an organization and is willing to invest in you, it's time to reconsider. Well, that's our show on tips and tricks to how to be a great federal subcontractor. We hope these four points help you put your best foot forward in your subcontracting efforts. Until next time.